All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dreaming in F Minor. We got a big episode for you today. It's a long one, but it's well worth every single minute. Today, I bring you a what I consider to be truly original musician. He's got an album called Negative Libra coming out on Somewhere Cold Records. Mr. Blake Conley from Drone Room is with us today. Like I said, this is a long episode, so I will keep the intro nice and quick just to get us going here. But just want to tell you briefly about Simple Equations Media. We are a full-service audio and video production company located here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Make sure to head over to simpleequationsmedia.com, Simple Equations on Facebook, at Simple Equations Media on Instagram, at Simple Equations underscore on Twitter, I believe is what it is. We're out there. Give us a Google. Come find us. We can help you out in any way you need. So without further ado, let's get to this amazing, amazing episode with Mr. Blake Conley. All right, Blake, let's get into the interview. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, we're here celebrating the release of Negative Libra by Drone Room. That's correct. Yeah, it's amazing, man. When This is going to be posted on the 30th of September, so coming out tomorrow, right? Uh, yes, and it'll be uh, three days after my birthday, because my birthday is the 27th. Oh, well, happy early birthday. Thank you. Yeah, man. How old are you going to be? 39. 39? Well, you don't look 39. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's because I'm built like a 13-year-old boy. Exactly. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. I don't know. I tend to, for some reason, schedule a lot of releases on my birthday. I figure that yeah. makes it extra special, and then people don't have to, like, buy me a birthday present. They can buy the record. Buy the record. Exactly. That's perfect. Yeah. And then you can have a release birthday party show all together. Not this year because of COVID and whatnot, yeah. but yeah, for sure. I generally have a big... I'm ridiculous. I have, like, about try to string about four shows when i was in louisville i had like i think for my last birthday pre-covid i had a solo show and then a show with the duo i was in and then in nashville had a show with my band i was in in nashville at the time mm. and then another solo show right after like yeah. four days in a row nice um yeah those were those were the good days huh they were <laughs> yeah we'll get back to them we'll get back to them um, Indeed. Yeah. It might be a little different, though, you living out here in Vegas now. The music uh, scene's a, a little bit different out here. It is. You're pretty new here. How long have you been here now? Um, Since November. Uh, and to be honest with you, not to just drop something, but I imagine my time here is probably on the short end, actually. Yep. There's a probably a relocation to a little bit more of a... Uh, more accessible city. Mm. That's one of the things I find interesting here is mm -hmm. that the accessibility to other cities compared to having lived, you know, not on the East Coast, but East-ish, mm -hmm. where all the cities are like... They're very close. They are. They are. Yeah. The idea that, like, Reno is seven hours away. Right. I mean, we, we've got L.A. that's down the road about four to five hours, but... Uh, LA's not for everybody. 
Yeah, um, when you can get to but, like Cincinnati or Nashville in like exactly. an hour and a half. That's what's crazy, right? I remember living living in Nashville and just being like, uh, it was shortly after we moved there, and my wife and I are just like looking at Google Maps, like, well, I guess we got a couple of days. Like, where do you want to go? You know, right? <laughs> like we can go. Let's go to the beach, or let's go to Indianapolis. Like, where do you want to go? Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's just it, you're a day trip away from so many places there. Yeah, it was yeah. that was a very big kind of reorganizing of how I think mm. geographically. Yeah, yeah. Very spread out here in the West. It is, it is. Which is why I I kinda like it personally. Um Yeah, no, I love the 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 nothingness is, is sort of appealing in its own way. I've mm-hmm. the enjo- space. Yeah, I've enjoyed not seeing trees if which sounds ridiculous. Have like, you? Yeah, that's the one thing I miss. Um, <laughs> and I always felt like th- how I play and what I play was always sort of, you know, there's a thing about like people will often discuss, and even when I've done like interviews with people, I would always kind of ask them how they felt like their environment mm. and where they live, how they feel like that potentially reflects in what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a lot of people I know that play music, say from the South, will talk about that sort of inherent Southernness and how it inevitably reveals itself in. in it kind of colors itself in the music a little bit. But I've never felt like that's been reflective of me. I've mm. always sort of felt like what I do feels much more. Like here, sparse and deserty. Yeah, as opposed to like the mm-hmm. terrains of the South, where I'm from. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it's identifying as a Southerner is is something that's never quite clicked with me in the same way. Although I enjoy some like you know Southern Gothic literature, but mm-hmm. the books and sounds I tend to glom onto other than having a deep abiding love for country music um, has always felt more deserty and and western in a way and I which is not far off from like a lot of like you know because think country western back in the day yeah when I you know think, Texas and whatnot yeah yeah when I think about you know uh, especially classic country music I don't think of the south yeah, there's like I I think of Texas. I think of the 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 Wild West. I think of these types of uh more dr- dry hot landscapes at times, you know what I mean? Or just um yeah, maybe there's there's something in it that is more uh lonely, which is not something that I associate the South with. There's a lot of people and the cities are very close like we were talking about. And um that could be just my experience living in the South because I grew up in Idaho. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Southeast Idaho. Um, but certainly listening to old school country music, um, which ties into, even though you play, I would say ambient guitar music, um, the type of tones that you get with your Telecaster, right? It was primarily what you play with. At this point, yeah. I'm, very twangy, you know, and everything, but you're you're not playing like country music, but like it's it's very like you got those bright tones to it and everything that we're we're used to hearing from like 
spaghetti western movies and stuff. Well, it's funny that sort of I feel like music has sort of caught up with that in that there is actually what's being kind of viewed at and it's got three different genre names because of course it does but there's sort of a small movement of what they're now calling either ambient americana or uh post country which is my favorite Mm. um name for it and i've seen it also referred to as cosmic pastoral i've seen ambient country out there as well yeah, or boot gaze is a funnier one. But boot I, gaze? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. But I don't shoegaze enough for that. But I found yeah. the the tag of, of post-country to be somewhat fitting, particularly since I've also embraced uh, throwing in lap steel on yeah. things and using that as a texture. Um, once I kind of... There's bands like uh, this band from New York called Sus, S-U-S-S, that is sort of definitely spearheading that. And there's always been sort of around the periphery you can find, if you dig deep enough, people that will utilize, say, like pedal steel in a very interesting, ambient, atypical way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luke Schneider out of Nashville, Mm -hmm. who has played with like Margot Price. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, I've, uh, I, I definitely know of him. I have, I'm not super familiar with his music, but I definitely know him. We from, put out a from, record from living there. Um, last year on Third Man. That's yeah, just like him Man, yeah. playing like what he considers new age music, but all mm. on like a vintage pedal steel wow. to just get like that more. You know, with pedal steel and lap steel, you can either do like the 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 hot licks. Or what I tend to do with it is utilizing a volume pedal and like a delay and you just kind of approach it slower. Like a slow attack. Yeah. And then you get like that, uh, like that Rykuder. I mean, Rykuder wasn't using a volume pedal and he was playing like slide on regular guitar. But I don't know if you've ever seen like the movie Paris, Texas. No. Um, Rykuder plays the soundtrack to it and it's just this beautiful Paris, Texas is this Vim Vendors film starring Harry Dean Stanton uh, about this guy that kind of comes out of the desert and tries to sort of reunite his family and it starts off with just this beautiful wide open expanse of I want to say I think it's Mexico possibly the the Texas border Mm. And just this gorgeous, like, slide guitar playing on top of it. Um, So steel guitar in general is actually, maybe not surprisingly, conducive to, like, that slower wash your thing just by letting, like you're saying, with the decay and using, like, delays and just kind of fading it in. And you get the same kind of wash like you would if, say, you... Did like volume swells with an ebo mm-hmm. and you just kind of catch the trail of when you do the the pull-offs mm-hmm. and it becomes this like kind of haunting wash yeah I, I love using volume pedals in that way and like i'm primarily a bass player but like i i, I would consider myself more of an experimental bass player you yeah know? um and i certainly love using a volume pedal with stuff like that you get those like cello sounds like you run like a fuzz pedal and then you Mm -hmm. because i've done that when i've played bass before i'm just like swelling into things and it Mm -hmm. becomes like 
like a cello exactly especially when, you know when you pull out like a fretless or something like that and play yeah. like it's just it's it's a it's a totally different yeah very kind of celloy um smooth sound yeah and it's uh it's a it's a beautiful thing you know and you can like layer all that stuff in the background to kind of mm-hmm. just create like a bed to like do other things on top of yeah um cuz a bed to me is Almost like the, for me, having like a, some sort of bedscape mm-hmm. is always something that's really helpful, particularly when you're improvising. Um, it's, it's it's a safety net, for lack of a better way to really phrase that. Because mm-hmm. um, I often I'll use either a loop or like a, say a electroharmonics freeze pedal Mm -hmm. um for those listening who don't know it's essentially a device that only does really one thing and that is it will capture like the sliverest sliverest it's a word the (laughs) tiniest millisecond of whatever note you put in there and then just plays that note like sustains it right Yeah. yeah and so what I can do with that is either you can leave it alone or I'll often like have a dedicated couple of pedals for the, the freeze to go through to just create like a tonal center, essentially. it's, it's That's nice. a good way to say it is a tonal center, kind of like a bed for everything else to lay on top of. Yeah, that way if you feel like you're – because at this point I'm doing primarily – just all improvisation. If you have something to come back to, if you get like too far out and feel like you're just getting lost, you can work your way back to that, at least that note. Mm-hmm. And then kind of try to spring off from it again, as opposed to like, I mean, I don't want to say key is important because it's, it's not necessarily so. But for me, it's a comfort to know that, like, I at least know what key I'm sort of... You have home base. Exactly. And I found that with anybody I improvise with is I will often at least be like, well, can we... Let's agree at least on, like, a key Mm -hmm. to kind of improvise in. Um, So it, it, it gives you sort of an out. No, 100%. Yeah. No, it gives you... It gives you... And you can think of it as an out. You can also think of it as just a starting and an ending point. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's something that you know you can always fall back on. Yeah. Um, I I love doing it. And that's obviously super present in your music. And one might gather that by the name Drone Room, you know, um, because you do have, you know, uh, a sense of a not in every single case with with all of your records but um you know there's definitely a sense of kind of a, a drone kind of happening there's, there's there's this constant kind of bed this wave of uh tone that's that's kind of constantly coming at you and you get to just have fun and do really whatever you want to on top of it yeah it's i always found it to be like a a tying element at the same time like it even if you're playing something and you get disparate, it feels more like one piece if you have something underneath it 
as opposed to say like you play something and then you stop and then you think about something else and you throw that in there and you get sort of a start stop as opposed to if you say have a sustained tone or something running underneath it the whole time Mm -hmm. it can make things feel like they make together maybe yeah yeah it's like a, it's like a, you know, like a tempura or a sitar or something. Yeah, you know, it's like you, you have those sympathetic strings that are kind of constantly just, bring, bring, bring that is giving you, you know, this, this comfy little uh, bed to sleep on. Well, which is the funny bit, if you don't mind, kind of leaning into the record that actually yeah. is a good pivot point because, um, so the new record, Negative Libra. Uh, while it's all essentially presented as one one thing, um, it was actually sort of done in three parts. Hmm. And so the funny bit, so backstory, backstory, two parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the original version of it, which is funny enough, the ending of the record, hmm. was I had a chance to do like a live stream um performance um in louisville for uh louisville's art sanctuaries uh program late for dinner which is hosted by my friend jeff jobson shout out um indeed indeed um and so during lockdown and slightly before 2018, 2019, I was doing like 50, I did at least 52 to like 54 dates, like performances during both of those years. Wow. Whether solo or in bands or in little like one off duo collaborations Mm -hmm. or with this uh, ongoing improv duo that I had in Louisville called Drone Store Cowboys. Mm. Um, and I was mainly, when I was doing solo stuff, utilizing material off of the two loop-based albums I'd done, which is Jesus Year, which came out in 2018. And Just listened to that earlier. I'll Make It Up To You, I Swear. Yeah, same. Yeah. Which came out in 2019. So I look at those two records as like sister records in a mm. way. Yeah. Because I'd written the material in Jesus Year, um least a couple years before it was recorded and then had already started on the material for I'll make it up to you I swear because I intended to get the Jesus year record done a lot faster than I did or at least get it recorded I had it all done Mm. and I guess in theory I could have just combined all the material but I'd already like segmented this represents this so this is what this is I made most of it when I was like 30 Two to thirty-three, which mm. someone informed me when you turn thirty-three is your Jesus year. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I didn't know. Is that where that name comes from? I, I yeah. Oh, interesting. Jesus was crucified when he was thirty-three. Yeah. So it's sort of much like I don't know how much weight you put into say the return of Saturn. Right. The concept of that—that's that's every twenty-seven years. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I guess quick explanation. <laughs> The return of Saturn is rooted in the idea that around every 27 to 28 years, 
uh, Saturn allegedly. I'm gonna sound like a total. No, go for uh, it, dude. Go deep. Yeah. Uh, astrological weirdo in this. Go for it. They say that Saturn returns to the same spot in the sky it was when you were born. Hmm. So when Saturn does this, the universe essentially throws a whole bunch of. Can I swear on? Absolutely. You know, throws Absolutely. a whole bunch of shit at you, essentially yeah. to sort of course correct you. Um, if you say you're going in the wrong direction that your life is supposed to be going in, the return of Saturn will like force you, correct, try to like yeah. force you into a different direction. Whether hmm. you get positive things or negative things, to essentially show you, no, you need to go this way. Wow. Um, and this is allegedly happens around every 27 years in your life. You mm. get this like sort of hard reset pivot or you're supposed to, mm -hmm. which at least I feel like in my case, I did have a very weird 27 to 29 when it's a strange Saturday time hit. in your life. It really is. It yeah. is. And then whatever I'd have to do math here. Uh, 54 is that right that 27 plus 27 is that 54 or 40 yeah yeah 54 i think yeah. so yeah you hit 54 and it's supposed to happen again and mm. then i guess if you live another 27 years it'll happen again yeah. um your jesus year is supposed to be sort of a similar thing of like that's when jesus was crucified so it's sort of be it's supposed to be a big pivotal year mm. in your life as well Interesting. Well, in the, in the in the number thirty three as well is is such like a, it has such strong connotations with it. You know, yeah. it, it's when you get into uh, you know things like numerology. You know, even the, you know, it's 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 a very very important number in a lot of like mystery tra traditions and things. Even things like obviously the fr Freemasonry. You know, yeah. like it's the uh, it's the highest level, highest degree of, of of Freemasonry when you when you find out you know, essentially the mysteries of the universe the universe and creation right. and everything apparently but uh, i don't know i'm not one but um, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting number it's a, it's a perfect it's a perfect number uh, yeah yeah and i've always had a soft spot for threes anyway being that i'm 927 so nine and then two plus seven is nine yeah although i was born in 82 so i missed Multiples the window of, threes of being, and everything yeah being 81 which would have been like nine 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 which again like you say are multiple to threes but mm -hmm. no i was born in 82 and that had to right. ruin Tesla the whole thing and the magic of three six nine and everything yeah you know, all, all kinds of stuff you yeah. know but so that's where the jesus material sort of derived from was coming out of a very tumultuous point in my life to be sort of where i was going to next i had a very weird 33 32 33 of mm. getting like divorced and stuff like that yeah, and yeah. my life basically kind of upended in what was honestly a positive way um but anyway so i had that material done and i had already just sort of segmented okay this is jesus year and i'd already started on at least two of the pieces for i'll make it up to you i swear and then I finished that. So that's why those records were pretty, like, back-to-back release-wise. Mm -hmm. But because I'd played out so much on that material and I have a bad habit normally of getting too far ahead of myself with material to where, like, by the time it comes out, I 
have a lot less interest because I've written new stuff. Move on, move, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because by the time Jesus year had actually came out, I'd had at least two or three things for the next record already done. Wow. And when I play live with the loop stuff, they're like twice the length of like what they are on the record. Because hmm. um, with the record, I could just like overdub the loops right. and just bam, bam, bam. Right. Live, I have to play it and make sure I've got like a nice groove going on it. I have to loop it. I have to kind of sit there and make sure, did I screw that up? Because if I screwed it up, I need to erase that loop and then right. play it again. So live with the loop stuff, I could only ever get in about two pieces, mm. you know, a half hour set. Yeah. Two pieces hits me about 25, close enough for a set, maybe 22, but not enough to start a third. And right. I didn't want to overstay my welcome anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but playing on all that, I started just feeling really kind of worked into a corner with the loop thing. It started feeling very, and probably only I was the one that was picking up on it. It started feeling very obvious in that you realize like, okay, four to eight measures, new part comes in. Four right. to eight measures, right. new part comes in and they all stack. And so I, first I, for the last two performances I did before lockdown happened, I dug up, not dug up, I'd taken a piece off of Jesus year. Cause when I first started doing drone room, it was like completely improvised. Mm. I had like a couple of pieces that followed like a flow and then it got looser and looser and oftentimes noisier. I was really notorious at the time of, <laughs> if I was in a bad mood, you would get a very abrasive set for me. Yeah. Um, which was a very bad habit of mine. Um, <laughs> Cause I had a friend of mine who after seeing a particularly set when I was in a very like bad mood, told me like, I'm not, I can't see you again live dude. That like hurt my ears. Cause it wow. just all yeah. feedback and like, spikiness um right. i've gotten much better about that who knows if that's really a bad thing i haven't seen those performances personally but uh who knows you know what i mean it's it's kind of like well we're making art here you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> it it expressed an emotion an emotional place i was in i don't know how much fun it was for the audience <laughs> but it was definitely like a yeah a bloodletting um right but like dancing plastic flowers was the piece and funny enough if you happened to have gotten the deluxe edition of Jesus year when it got reissued there is I was able to expand it back out from to about like a 20 I could make it last the whole set like I went back and played it because it was the one that I used to like was the first loop based piece I ever wrote that had that much mm. extensive looping yeah and so I thought well let's maybe take an old piece and like see what else I can do with it for a while so I did that and found like a whole 10 extra minutes of looping and wrote an intro to it. Nice. And was performing that for a little while. And then kind of lockdown happened and I started kind of wondering, well, what if I just chuck out loops entirely and just get back to pure, let's see where the guitar can go for a while. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, I sort of unintentionally started taking up finger picking, which it always kind of goofed off on, or, you know, goofed off on. Um, but you know, when you're at home playing guitar, 
and you're just kind of like lounged all awkwardly in a chair, mm-hmm. you could just sit there and just kind of like, you know, twiddle around with your fingers totally. as mm-hmm. opposed to like pulling out a pick and I've got carpal tunnels anyway. So like having bad posture in a chair and trying <laughs> yeah. to work a yeah. pick yeah. is just like terrible on your wrist. Yeah. So I just got more into... If you could see me now, I'm totally miming finger picking while I'm saying this because I'm <laughs> one of those people when I explain things, I do it physically. Um, but it yeah. looks good. You're you're <laughs> you're fooling me. I thought you had a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so I started getting more into that as well, and um, yeah, I just sort of like chucked out the looping things. I felt like I just worked myself into a corner with, or the heavy looping thing. There will still sometimes be loops but more let's get improvisational and so i started i did a few compilation appearances and i had the opportunity from a different label than i normally work with i at this point typically do my releases through the label somewhere cold yeah i wanted to talk about them for sure we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around to that so and i did a whole record called the other doesn't uh, on this record label called Humanhood out of Louisville, which mm. was just all improvised and basically written over two weekends, which was a lot of fun to like just sort of put myself in a mind space, knock it out really quickly um, in a satisfactory way while also knowing like I'm improvising. So I was kind of able to do something Plus, at home, I'm honestly pretty low on the equipment. That, that whole record's done on my phone. Yeah, yeah, that's what's super interesting about your stuff because it, it definitely has a uh, a lo-fi vibe to it, but that's kind of charming. I like it, you yeah, know? It's not like... You can feel the room, and I use enough reverb to where, like, it... I, it the Merc somewhat i feel like it's defined but it's still got some murk and some slight like clipping around the edges um but i could do that by doing like solo improvised guitar as opposed to the loop thing when i would do the loop thing i would make sure we tracked each loop separately Mm. so like jesus here and i'll make up to a swear each loop is tracked separately and then my uh recording engineer a guy named um sam Scholten from louisville who now has a new studio in louisville so if you are ever passing through louisville and want to make a record definitely hit up sam at his new space uh hidden yeah. room recordings i think is the name of it hidden just, rooms yeah if you if you give me a link i'll definitely put them in the the, the uh, show notes for sure he just uh opened it up after i'd moved away um but because I couldn't, when you use a looper, you get this really fascinating thing happening where the more you stack into a looper, you start losing stuff mm-hmm. and it all starts like mushing together in a very undefined way that yeah. works live. But for the records, I wanted like very cleanness with the loops. Yeah. Um, particularly keeping the core loop present in a way that I couldn't do say recording at home Mm -hmm. so that also was a benefit of essentially just setting up like a drone and improvising to it is that something I could do at home and record and you would still get solid definition of both things without getting it lost in the loops Yeah, because what I do essentially is I like 
biamp. Like I have a little small rinky dink practice amp and I will run the freeze and whatever pedal I have the freeze on mm. through that. And then I'll use like my regular playing amp, which is a blues junior. Nice. Um, I've got like a Fender Bassman, but I can't run like a 410 in my apartment yeah. without <laughs> being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Your neighbors will not your neighbors will not be happy with you. Yeah. But I can do that kind of thing with my phone and get surprise to me like surprising fidelity because I've told people like, "Oh, that's my phone." And they're like, "That's your phone?" And like, "Yeah, who knew?" Um yeah. I mean, I will have I have a couple people that I will have go back and EQ it and fix right. some frequencies and right. But you know, there's occasional room no like noises buried in there. You'll, I'm sure if you listen very very closely, you can hear me like sniffing or no. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. And I, I really like that. Like that's something that like you know a lot of like uh, acoustic guitar, like solo acoustic guitar records and stuff. That you mm-hmm. hear, you hear that. You hear like the creaking of the chair or like the uh you yeah. know like those little things i love it it's so human you know what i mean i love that sound what's funny is um on the other dozen there's actually like because i recorded over fourth of july weekend if you listen to like the end of at least a couple of them you hear the, the neighborhood like fireworks popping <laughs> off like <laughs> nice. there'll just be weird pops yeah, yeah someone's like oh i heard some mic bumps I'm like Duck. i was like no those are fireworks that's yeah. like people outside my window in the streets, like <laughs> shooting off fireworks, That's and cool. I just like yeah. left it in there because it just—I thought it was charming. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But to get back to where I was a while back, um, so I had an opportunity to play a live stream, but I'd been doing just so much improvising that I didn't have a set worked up at this point. You know, I mean, I could have relied on like doing an old loop thing. Which I did end up playing for that set. I did a new thing that was principally improvised and an older thing. Uh, I did Lady Bird off of Jesus year. So I kind of split the difference. But so what happened was um, for that, there is a, a loop that I made of like a music box, but I like kept looping it over and over in different spots so that it you can't catch the melody. I let him ran it backwards. Mm. So, but I saved that loop because I liked what I improvised in that set. And so what I decided to do around, I had an opportunity for a compilation track uh, for a Somewhere Cold uh, compilation. Uh, But it was like months down the line, but I already had the material worked out. So I recorded what's the ultimately the ending of Negative Lever, the electric part. in November in Louisville based on that uh, that improvised performance. But the funny thing was, was I realized after I had done what I felt like was a pretty solid take on that performance was I had not, while I'd used the music box loop, I ran it forward and I didn't run it reverse like I had performed it. Mm. So... <laughs> I was like, oh, well, crap. I meant to run that backwards. Um, so what I did was I left the loop in my looper, and I was like, well, you know what? What would be kind of interesting later on is to do something else completely different but utilize that same loop in a way that like calls back to it. Mm-hmm. So then 
you know, move, get here, and I start kind of playing more acoustic guitar for some reason. Like, I've never really been much of a big acoustic person, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. It's always been electric, even, like, unplugged. I sit at home, I would play, like, electric guitar unplugged. Mm -hmm. And for some reason here... I just had just like pulled out. I mean, I've always had an acoustic guitar, but right. it's never been like. I have had like one recording on like a little EP that's online. That's me playing acoustic. And I have me playing acoustic on the Drone Store Cowboys record, but I've never done Drone Room with like an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Um,. So I'd gotten sort of the idea, but I always sort of knew in the back of my head, like, you know what, God damn it, one of these days I'm probably going to end up doing, like, an acoustic record. But I never quite had the idea of how to do it, particularly with the loop thing. Mm-hmm. And sort of started realizing when I was doing the uh, finger-picking thing, I was like, okay, wait, I could probably do this in a way that would sound convincing. Um, so in the interim between Negative Libra... I had been talking to this record label uh, in Albuquerque called Desert Records, mm. which is principally a like a stoner metal doom label. Gotcha. But they have a couple of weirder acts, one called um, Grawl Brothers and one called Cortege. Cortege are some buddies of mine hmm. that are like drum and bass and bar- like occasionally baritone guitar and then tubular bells. <laughs> Oh, wow. Like, they take the tubular bells on tour with them and stuff. I'm definitely checking that out. (laughs) So it's this weird, like, Morricone Western thing. Yeah, yeah. But it'll dip into, like, heavy-ass, like, doom parts. Wow, that sounds awesome. In between. um, Yeah. So I sort of became familiar with Desert Records through them um, and realized, and Grawl Brothers are this weird, like, like there's there's pedal steel and there's guitar, but they tend to like do this almost collaged up approach to material where it sounds like you're hearing the same song, but it's almost like you're driving through somewhere and your radio's cutting out. Mm. And then you hear like a different radio station, but it's playing the same song, but like by mm. a different band. Wow. Yeah. Like, a, like you'll get like a weird Western interpretation of something and then like a rock version of it. Hmm. And so it's all the same song, but it's like a different take different of it approach. that will kind of like collage yeah. it into it. Wow. That's cool. Um, so I kind of thought to myself, I was like, okay, this dude clearly, while signing like you know heavy ass things uh the the guy at desert clearly he's got an open ear to like weirder stuff and the thing is i've actually found is metal dudes are have actually been like some of my most receptive audiences Mm, yeah i mean i've played in a metal band before but like even for like my my drone shit like metal audiences really pick up on that i think it's the weed (laughs) (laughs) well um i guess kind of coming from a a pretty deep metal background uh i've played in a handful of metal bands and everything and grew up listening to metal and everything you know um 
I think there's something about uh, allowing yourself to enjoy something that I don't even know the right way to say it. Aggressive repetition. Yeah, you know, it could be that. It, it could be just uh, being open-minded, uh, open-minded enough to listen to something fucking crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then finding the beauty in that. And 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 enjoying that and, and and living in that, and I think a lot of metal music or a, a lot of metal fans certainly love just the extremities of music. Totally, you know. But and it's like, like I said with the repetition thing. If you think about like Black Sabbath riffs, you know, there's there's. I mean, they have ones that cut through a whole bunch of riffs, but like mm-hmm. a lot of theirs are like slower and. Oh yeah. You know, it locks into that one groove, or very very groove based. Yeah. Not all sleep. metal is. Not all metal is. A lot of metal. A lot of metal is just like overly technical. Sure. And, and just literally just musicians uh, masturbating their musicality in front of everybody, and and uh, that can be pretty fucking annoying at times. You know what I mean? Um, but like. You know, there's certain, but but the bands that can can hit like that, that groove that you can really sink your teeth into, yeah, and and go along for the ride. Those are the bands that are really great. Well, I mean, to each their own, of course. Like, but like Ohm or yeah, Sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sleep did like you know, 50 minutes. <laughs> like you know, Dope Smoker is. That's a different. That's a different realm for sure. I think that's a different approach to than than a lot of metal. You know what I mean? And um, which is amazing, and it, but I think is a is a is a slightly different approach than like you know if you're listening to uh, you know some technical death metal band versus like you know like Sun or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's a different experience. I think it's a different approach. But yet they're both heavy. Um, there's a diff. There's there's definitely. Um, I think there's a separation in in uh, approach and well, musical and, taste to it. And those are the ones the metal fans that I've typically found have been most receptive. Like I've done pretty well in front of like stoner metal doom audiences, um, which is just to say that so. I had been working on this acoustic record, and I sort of thought like with the desert thing like this can be the record i present to him is this because i basically made this acoustic record through pedals like i still put a pickup in the guitar and still ran it through my pedal board but mm-hmm. it's all like finger picked acoustic mm-hmm. and i thought that would be you know drone room does an acoustic record would be sort of an interesting selling point which is why that record went to uh went to desert as opposed to somewhere cold or mm-hmm. will go to desert uh it's still in the works mm-hmm. somewhat Looking um, forward to it. But, so, I don't know if you, I've ever told you this about myself. I'm a person that has, like, 40 ideas at any given time yeah. about things I could do or could be doing. Right. So, all this to say, because I'm totally getting way off my topic to lead up to Negative Libra, which is what we're ostensibly yeah. here promoting. Go um, for it. Is, I also had the idea, in addition to... I was trying to think of like, okay, what types of records within the realm of what I do, you know, which is improvisational solo guitar, 
what sort of records make sense within that approach. You know, like a like I couldn't do a rap record. I mean, right. I would be happy to play on a rap record and do like my thing, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to make a rap record because I don't feel like that's in my it's not who you are. It's, it's, it's not my wheelhouse to do. Wheelhouse, yeah. Like I'd be happy to throw an overdub on somebody's record. If anybody, if any hip hop producers out there yeah. want some like <laughs> cool twang space guitar on their things, feel free to hit me up because I'm happy to do that. But Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't compose that on my own wholesale, and it wouldn't feel like it comes from a sincere place for me. Mm-hmm. Or like I couldn't do a technical death metal record. I couldn't. My brother can totally play that shit, you mm. know, with his eyes closed. Mm. But the only other, the main other thing I thought of besides potentially doing like what I still have an idea of doing like a vocal record at some point where, not where I would do vocals. I mean, I've done vocals in bands before, but I had this idea in the back of my head of like eventually doing a record where I get some friends of mine that I know that can sing or that would be interesting singers to try to make music for them to then sing on top of. Hmm that's still in the back of my head of something to do of like getting like four pieces together and then finding like four people that I know that are interesting vocalists to see how they interpret the material. Mm -hmm. Cause that's always just kind of let them have free reign you're saying and just kind of let them do their thing. Cause that's what I always sort of liked about even the having other people engineer or do things, my records or even like what I would have the loop thing mixed was I'm I'm just as interested as seeing like here's something let's see what you can do with it yeah um, which I can I will touch on in a minute actually um, with something else I'm working on mm. um, I'm beginning to see what you're saying with the forty ideas at once yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's great though yeah it's good so the other thing that I thought to myself was okay well with stuff like this. A long record. Okay, one record that's one piece. That's something that at least is within the realm of what people that also do what I do do, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as they would do like a more long form piece. So at first I was trying to figure out like, well, I want to have a long form piece, but I want to be able to like transition instruments into it because I'd been playing acoustic more. So I wanted to work some of that in there and I'd been playing lap steel more. So I was like, well, I could work some lap steel in there and then electric guitar. And at first I was sort of like, okay, I'm gonna have to like map this out and like write a whole like flow chart of how to like make this segue properly. And then it sort of struck me in the process of it that, oh, wait, I've got this this piece that I meant to like make sort of a sister piece to because I, to remind the audience, because I've gotten way off base, I had recorded this piece and I had run the loop forward by accident. Yeah, yeah. So it struck me of like, well, wait, I could use that music box loop as a tying element to make one long form piece. So what I did was I took it back from the compilation, made a whole other piece for this compilation and was like, I'm going to take this piece back because I have an idea of what to do with it. And so I made two other parts to go with it where I basically 
ran the music box backwards, like I'd originally intended, and mm -hmm. play the acoustic guitar section over it. And then I dropped the uh, music box to half speed, hmm. which is, if you note the middle section, having listened to it, it gets really like weird and washy. Mm -hmm. what, it's what I kind of refer to as the oasis of the piece. Cool, yeah. And that is the music box played at half speed, uh, nice. possibly backwards. I want to say it's backwards, but I might be wrong. It's... It's more than likely backwards still. Mm -hmm. So it runs backwards and then it drops to half speed, which I noticed when I did that, it becomes this, this pool of like throb. Yeah. As opposed to getting that like thing. Mm -hmm. And then I played lap steel on that. Um, but I use this really this Earthquaker device's Astral Destiny, which was like a octave reverb. Mm. So it has this slight like chorus shimmer octaves kind of going everywhere. Cool. Yeah. And I found that if I did that and never let the volume pedal like max out, that it would just sort of feed into the, the octave delay and all you're really catching is just like the tail almost mm. you're catching more of the reverb yeah the space in it. than the yeah. note yeah, yeah and so that's what creates kind of the little washy interlude cool yeah before jumping into the electric section at the end which is and i sort of remembered enough of the parts from the electric section to be able to know what key i'm in and sort of homage the parts mm -hmm. in the beginning with the acoustic so that the everything sort of inevitably reflects itself um, so that I in inevitably tied it all together into becoming one 36 or seven minute long piece. Yeah. So I ended up landing on my long form piece by doing that. I sort of, I guess, reverse engineered it in a way. And then I had uh, Jason Lamoureux, who was the, performs as the corrupting sea and is the head of somewhere cold go in and it's essentially glue it together for me cool like kind of spliced it together and make sure yeah. the pieces ran into each other yeah that's amazing man what one thing that i'm finding really really interesting about you is um where when you just listen to your music it feels very very uh, stream of consciousness Mm -hmm. You know, where it's, we're just along for this ride, like this is 36 or 37 minutes of just you doing yeah. your thing. Um, and it's it feels very, very effortless and feels very, very uh, smooth, like you're just, you're just doing what you do, you know, just, but what I'm finding super, super interesting here is... You're very, very methodical about the way that you do things. And I think that's super, super interesting because it comes out, and it's really awesome because it comes out so very uh, uh, single, not single-minded, but single point of view, single stream of consciousness feeling from start to finish. There's obviously a progression that happens within it when you listen to it, but it feels like, it feels like you're just going 
with the motion of the ocean. You're not really, you know, you're, you're just doing it. But then hearing you talk, it's like every single little detail you've put thought into. And I find that super admirable, you know, because it's because you did a great job of tying it all together and gluing it together. And I guess a lot of that is probably shouting out to your 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 buddy who kind of brought everything together, you know. Um, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome because it just feels like one solid performance. Thank you. Well, it's I don't know if I would say methodical as much as as conceptual. Mm is is much more the way i sort of look at it because because a lot of it honestly is when i when i make something a lot of times it's just me setting up like a good tone i want and i found maybe like a starting uh a starting part Mm -hmm. that's the only way i like sit around and watch like a movie or just around like on my couch playing guitar and i'll find like okay that's a start of something um and so but there's a concept behind it i guess is that's that's i think the more more the methodology is in concept of like that's a good way to say it there, there's a solid uh concept i'll have like an idea thing. of yeah what i want to make or at least like the vibe of it the, the spirit of it like Okay, I'm gonna make one long piece. Let's then find how to start that piece. Then I will figure out where it goes from there, like on the fly. Mm. Yeah. So that's sort of what's happening is I just have like an idea of what type of thing I want to make, and then I try to make that to the best of my ability. Mm. And whether it's intentionally like an electric record or an acoustic record or in this case like a 36 minute thing it's just having like the idea and then let's see what happens when i attempt to figure that out how to make that you know on the fly Mm -hmm. and one, one thing i wanted to kind of circle back around to a little bit is um we were talking earlier about just kind of the the landscape and everything being out here in in the desert and everything and how it kind of it seems to match uh the music you play and i would definitely agree with that um and the growing were you born in were you born in the south um yeah i was born in memphis yeah um lived there till i was about three and then lived in this this podunk ass cotton town uh in the middle of west tennessee before moving to nashville but having said that, um, my father was a truck driver. Mm. And so for summer, ostensibly, it's not even summer vacation, but like when I wasn't in school, essentially we would all kind of just pile up into the 18-wheeler and um, drive to California mm. while he had to like either pick up fruits and veggies or i guess he's picking them up and then bringing them back that would make the most sense like i'm sure that we aren't bringing fruits and veggies from (laughs) tennessee to california (laughs) but so much of my childhood is sort of when not rooted in tennessee is ostensibly rooted in riding in a big truck on the road yeah through school because it'd be 40 you know um it through 
Texas and and I generally would be asleep through the New Mexico because New Mexico doesn't take super long to go through if you're yeah. that would usually we'd hit that by night and yeah. I'd sleep through a lot of New Mexico There's which not is much to New Mexico. Oh, I don't know. I I It's interesting. Like I would say but I think it's not very like uh it's not like oh this is New Mexico, but I've only been through there so much. I when I made the drive out here, I actually found a lot to to like about New Mexico. Albuquerque was great. I loved pulling into Albuquerque. The big mountains as you're pulling yeah. in and everything, and it drops down into the desert. That was pretty cool, for sure. Because I was essentially taking, like, 40 through there, so, you know, I was hitting through, like, uh, uh, Amarillo, so right. you hit, like, the Texas Plains. Yeah. Rather than, like, like all the Texas flatland, and it's, it was always kind of fascinating to me the minute you crossed over to New Mexico, then suddenly, like, the desert opens up mm. the minute you like get five miles out of Texas is what I found really fascinating about New Mexico mm. was just immediately like crags appeared out of, out of nowhere after essentially being like in cattle land mm -hmm. and wind farms. And then bam, there it is. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, if it, it, it feels like maybe an entrance to the southwest yeah yeah so i'd say that that's rooting there because i always had a real soft spot for that and my father definitely played a bunch of like marty robbins <laughs> albums and whatnot right. um which he was you know i want to say more of a gimmicky cowboy but like he wrote he, he sang cowboy songs you know, like mm -hmm. uh uh oh El Paso and Big Iron um, and songs like that. I was going to say, like, it's, it seems like you probably got a lot of inspiration from those times musically, listening to country music. You know, if, if you're not listening to, you know, a tape or something at those times, then you're listening to what radio stations you could possibly find, and it's all country music. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a funny thing, even with country music, is I would say... If you grow up in the South as as a weird kid, right? Um, you almost reject country music mm. for a while before yeah. sort of like re-embracing it. Because mm. when I was a kid, it was like, you know, stuff my mother listened to. Like right. she would have that in the car and like. I mean, it was like 90s country, but I've even come to like appreciate 90s country. Same. I hated country when I was a little kid. It was like a thing that was like, no, I don't listen to that bullshit. You yeah. Know? You, you know, my dad was not a country fan. And he used to be like, no, I don't listen to that twanging. You know, and like, it was like, it was like, it's just not something that I did. Yeah. Yeah. But as I got older, it kind of opened my mind a little bit. And then when I moved to Nashville, I suddenly understood the charm of it. It's, it's something you sort of, like I said, it, I sort of like doubled back on it started off with like the more outlaw stuff. But even then after a while, I started really appreciating like uh, Keith Whitley and I can enjoy a lot of like Randy Travis. Mm -hmm. um, My wife loves nineties country. Loves it. Yeah. I'm more than happy for uh, Garth Brooks to be, raking in money with friends in low places again <laughs> right. since that apparently had that big like renaissance out of nowhere yeah um i could still do hank jr is a little bit of a question mark but i will say if you can tell i'm drunk if like 
uh, family tradition comes on and I'm like screaming it at the top of my lungs. That is a like, <laughs> oh shit, Blake's drunk because he's <laughs> screaming along to family tradition. I love it. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about Hank Jr.'s politics and himself as a person. We right. won't, we won't touch on that, but yeah, that's a rabbit hole. Um, but that is a good, like, if you are like shit faced. You know, you got you do all the ad libs and everything, yeah. and that is a perfectly stupid song to like. Yeah, be drunk and sing along to. I think that's why country music has become as successful as it has, because I think it is so incredibly relatable. And I used to really, really reject country because of that. You know, and I used to be like, oh, this is such like, oh, it's just, it's so boring. It's so, um, it's, it's so predictable. You know, it's like, there's nothing interesting going on here. We're just literally writing songs to relate to as many people as possible. Populist music. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I hated country music for a long time because of that. And, and I still don't like that aspect of it because there are still a lot of artists out there that literally today are writing music. It's like, what's that dude with the, with the, uh, the Applebee's song that's all popular now on TikTok and shit. It's just like, uh, the fancy like dude, oh, I don't remember his name, but like, uh, it's like, you know, and I hate that aspect of it. But then at the same time, it's like, that's what pop music is. That's what a lot of music is. is where it's, that We know our audience. We're going to target it exactly. And, and I don't, and I, and I, and I just want, you know, my music to be in a personal expression of who I'm listening to. Um, but that's a really blanket statement. And it's kind of unfair to a lot of country music, but there is a lot of that out there. Well, so here's the things to sort of think about the difference between, say, country music and um, so so this this is maybe like a multi-tiered topic is views of authenticity and what that means in different genres of music are, if you think about it, fascinatingly disparate. So to to kind of A, B, rock music, at least especially at this point, less so in like the 50s, to be authentic in rock, metal, and what have you, you're the sole creator of all of it, mm-hmm. right? You're the one like writing the songs, you're the one playing the songs, you're the one singing the songs, right? Right. right. If you have someone else write your songs for you, like you're a poser in metal or what have you, Mm -hmm. you're not counting like cover songs. But if you found out like, oh, this this one guy writes all the metal songs for these multiple bands, you know, you'd be like, you know, fuck you posers right yeah it would be it would be like i'm not listening yeah totally you can't write your own songs what's wrong with you right but having said that country music that's not as important country music interesting right is yeah it's about the song and it doesn't matter where the song comes from because they encourage the song the songwriter business is like almost a completely different tier than the performer. It's like a different world. It really is. Now, that's not to say that some country musicians don't perform their own material. They do. Right. But 
a lot of them, like you're... It's not looked down on. No. That's what's super interesting. And I've never, you know, and I've always known that fact, but I've never really thought about it outright like that. Um, is, 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 yeah, the songwriter business, like in Nashville, being a songwriter in Nashville, that's just kind of like a thing that happens. Yeah. You, you write your songs, you, you do a, you do a songwriter demo and you try and pitch it to a label you to get, get a, an artist to pick it up. You try to write in brand to mm. a certain artist or you're trying to write in a way that someone else will relate to so they can personify that, yeah. that song in a way that like, say, rock music wouldn't abide by. So... Yeah. That's very interesting. That's where it works in a more populist element, but also with country music is it's very good at being adaptive, if you think about it. <clears throat> the production values, you can generally date a country song based on its production values. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can sort of do that with rock music, but in a different way, like you see the song evolve where it's more like stylistically with rock and metal like it's more stylistically you date it into a certain time yeah rock music is sort of capable in the same way pop music is to an extent of absorbing influences because you had like Hmm. big grandiose style country music with like lots of string sections in like the 70s and the 80s there's the Nashville sound a lot of chorus on stuff Um, and now you have bro country um for whatever that's worth um i won't yeah we it's not know. my favorite <laughs> we all know. but it's incorporating like hip-hop elements almost it's like yeah. they took like stuff say like except it's incorporating both hip-hop elements and like 90s alt rock yeah and especially when you get straight into like what i guess a lot of people are calling just the hick hop, like straight yeah. up rapping over country music and, you know, vice versa. Um, Thanks, Kid Rock. It's Yeah, really. That's where it all came from, right? But it's that- a weird combination. It's a weird combination. In some way, it almost makes sense in a weird way. It's just not something I'm into. Well, it, it's the way I'm thinking about it. Like, cause, and as another example, like how Darius Rucker... Mm-hmm. You know, Hootie of Hootie and the Blowfish yeah. is a country star now. Mm-hmm. Or like, like that band Lit. Do you remember Lit? Mm-hmm. My, they pivoted to country. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Look it up. There's there's some... They have a very straight up like wow. country song and they try to do the national thing. Is Well, because yeah, I was working for a company called Rated Red a while back and we were going to do a video uh, with the dude from Lit and he had like... It was like, a, it was so stupid. It was like this weird real estate f- video or something. It was like, we weren't a real estate company or anything, but we like went to his like new house uh-huh. and like, I don't even think it saw the light of day, but like, he's like, yeah, here's my new East Nashville place, blah, 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 you know, doing these like, oh, here I am. Yeah. It was like, and I didn't really think about it, but that's hilarious. They actually went and did a country thing. Be, you yeah. Know. Though it's, it's how I sort of look at it in a way is that it's almost a genre you can age into in that like with Darius Rucker or I I would not be surprised and I almost feel like let's say like Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 has probably written country songs yeah probably the dude from Semisonic I know he lives in Nashville now and I'm sure he's probably written 
material for country yeah. artists. Obviously, Aaron Lewis went and did it from <laughs> yeah, from Stained. But yeah, yeah. Um, there's a bunch of them that did that racist piece of shit. Is he? Oh, dude, there was a whole thing where like he performed in Texas and was trying to get people to be quiet, and he was like. Someone told him, like, maybe you should say that in Spanish. And he's like, you know, I speak American in America. <laughs> wow. Eat shit, Aaron Lewis. Holy I don't, shit. Wow. I don't care if I'm not going to get, like, a stained speak opening. American. Wow. Yeah, he's total, like... I didn't know that. That's too Right wing... He's from, like, fucking Boston or some shit. He's yeah. from, like... Or somewhere Upper East Coast. He is not, like, a fucking... Good old boy. A good old boy from Texas or something. Yeah. And she can have his own political beliefs, I guess. But you know, it's it's like, but yeah, yeah it's just it's abusive seems, about them, which I think is that's what's a, that's what's uh, that's what's ridiculous is when people become abusive about their political views. Yeah, it's pretty annoying. Um, it's ridiculous. But what I was saying is, you can like, but you can age into country music in a way that like. Not to say that rock music's a young man's game, um, but <laughs> like Mark Wahlberg's hip hop's a young man's game, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, country fans are like really one of the few audiences that are still pretty loyal to buying music. Actually, mm-hmm. most of the album sales, at least like compact disc and whatnot, are still like country artists. So the uh, their audiences are still like buying media, um, so that's why I was kind of looked at it is it's one where like age is much less. You appear more like you know, wise or like you know stuff. If you are older in country in a way, and they hold on to like say their artists as far as relevancy in a way mm-hmm. like. Johnny Cash having his revival, or Merle Haggard being, or Willie Nelson, of course, mm. in a way that, I mean, rock bands can age. I'm not saying that they can't, mm. but. Yeah. It's kind of nice, so like the old country, the old, the old, the old wise uh, kind of country singer thing. Like They still feel somewhat thing. more relevant in a way that say like the rolling stones or the who right don't if that makes sense yeah totally um and i'm not and i think it's it's as much the genre of it just being like songs versus being reliant on like bombast and energy rock music is very rooted in like bombast and energy and certainly people can Older people can definitely bring that, one hundred percent. You know, but no, it's different. There, it, it is. It I really mean, like, is. Dinosaur uh, Junior is still playing ungodly loud, and they're right. in. It's got to be at least fifty. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally, definitely um, at least. No, there's definitely that thing. You know what I mean? Like if you go to a Foo Fighters concert or something, like it's gonna be loud and intense, and like those dudes are old, you know. Yeah. And, um, but there is definitely something to it um, where you're allowed because of this idea of the artist and country music is 
the most powerful artist in all of music if you think about it you know because because you can be young and do your thing and be the artist and be the guy and be you know i don't know i guess garth brooks running around making weird faces and shit on stage and flying yeah and uh he was but, a big kiss fan so that's why he like was he yeah, yeah. he's like a huge kiss and i want to uh. probably say queen fan which is why he got very into like the the pyro and stuff okay. happening yeah but um, but you know, even as they age and everything, we can still let them age gracefully, which is which is something you don't get in rock, and certainly something you don't get in pop music that is also centered around the artist. You can you can age into the songs. I'd say almost in a way, you know, you you're not like, sorry, Roger Daltrey, but, or I guess Pete Townsend wrote the lyric, but, hope I die before I get old doesn't. <laughs> quite hit the same yeah. when you're like <laughs> 65 yeah as opposed to you know um i'll Allowing never get your... out of this world alive but <laughs> of course i mean hank williams wrote that song and he died at like 29 yeah. but you can age gracefully into your material in a way mm-hmm. you know country music allows that i feel and like yeah. to even touch back on the genre distinction just the other funny thing i was gonna point out is like even looking at like the idea of authenticity in hip-hop in that the performer is not generally the one making the beats right the producer has much more control in hip-hop and even like reggae Mm -hmm. if you ever look at the history of reggae the history of reggae is very to me like reflective of how hip-hop works hmm. as a genre of it being very producer driven um really i didn't know that about reggae yeah like you'd have like I it was always a band it was definitely a, a, a band genre i always felt like well you have like you'd have like king tubby or lee scratch perry um who are the producers behind it and they would generally have like a band they like to use but what was wild to me about reggae and particularly dub reggae is they would often reuse the same like rhythmic tracks and have like right. how dub reggae came to exist. I don't know how deep into dub reggae you've ever gotten, but it's that's a very in the studio type of creation, right? Dub when it was kind of just like a experimentations in Kingston. Well, they basically. would take like the 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 track off like say like a a, a reggae hit. They mm-hmm. would take like the instrumental bed. And they would have like parties, like these big shindigs. And in order to be heard from miles away, they would like crank the bass up ungodly loud and sort of build these remixes and then have like their favorite toaster, um, which was like generally the reggae version of like an MC, mm. come in and perform on top of it. Wow. And so. Okay, that makes sense. It's sort of like before remixing was a thing in hip hop reggae operated in a very and that's mostly the dub stuff which is more kind of where i lean cuz it's i like reggae itself but dub reggae hits like a weird like totally and it was funny it's a vibe <laughs> funny thing is you'll yeah. get like a lot of times like the what they would do when they'd put out a single is they'd have like you know the regular vocal track and then what they would call is like the version, like you see, like parentheses will be like V E R, which is like version, which would be the dub version. So your mm. B side would be 
like the instrumental version with like the bass cranked and like hmm. echo on everything and maybe like a snippet of the vocal hook. Yeah. And that was for like other people to kind of go in and do their thing on top. play parties, like like extend like extended dance versions of like disco songs and club to play in clubs. And exactly. Stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, makes sense. That makes so much sense. I was down out in freaking Venice, and I decided to give one of these dudes a few dollars for his CD, and I put it in my car after we left, and it was the same goddamn song. Like uh-huh. 22 times, just with different, I guess, MCs on top of it. Yeah. You know? Different artists on top of it. Oh, like, like the gas the? station style, like. Yeah, he was records. just like, hey, he kind of came up. He's like this Jamaican dude. And I was like, all right, oh. you seem kind of cool. You know what I mean? But there's, I encountered probably 12 of them as I walked the boardwalk. We, we were there not long ago, my wife and I. And, um, just a just a break away from the kids, you know. He was like, yeah. "Oh, let's go walk the Venice Boardwalk," you know. And I encountered like twelve thousand reggae, <laughs> reggae freaking uh, musicians, and I was like, "You know, I'll just buy one from this guy. He was pretty cool." And yeah, it was like twenty two songs, dude. And it was all the same beat, and I was like, "What am I listening to?" So I guess maybe it's just a tradition. It's always been that way that I've never noticed and never got deep enough see, into. I think that would be almost too. fascinating just to see like the reinterpretations of it most of the time it, it was for a minute and then okay. it hit song 10 and i'm like oh my god because <laughs> i always thought it'd be kind of funny to to like release like a gas station cd yeah i had some friends like for sweet sounds record the record label that first put out like my my piss poor single which is like a 22 minute long single mm. and he the guy from that, Keith Chandler, who um, has done some EQing on, he did EQed and edited the other doesn't. When I say edited, like he snips off the parts where I'm like hitting play or record and then walking right. across the room and then like click, click, and all my pedals come on. Right. He snips those parts off and like crossfades it, <laughs> cleans up the yeah, yeah. the bad frequencies. Um, For sure. But I told him at one point, I was like, you should totally just like release a, one of your compilations of the label, all this weird indie music, and we should like put it in a gas station. And like just in between, we'll have like the burp, 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 <laughs> Sweet Sounds Records presents. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Just on top of stuff. And it'll be like, <laughs> it'll be fantastic. And yeah, he never, he didn't go along with us, I guess. <laughs> why not man yeah what the hell keith yeah come on Um, keith but yeah um but funny enough keith is currently working on that acoustic record i mentioned um that's coming out on desert um and then i will probably have a tape coming out on his label sometime next year i don't quite know yet cool so i mean um so this was obviously released off of somewhere cold yeah um my fourth record the fourth one yeah yeah amazing what were the other so you had um i'll make it up to you i swear jesus year and then uh the i'm trying to i'm blanking on this blood uh what was it blood on blood blood on blood yeah um yeah so the first one was technically um i'll make it up to you i swear uh Jesus Year came out on a cassette tape like earlier that year through a small Nashville label. Um, sort of by accident. I always meant to have CDs of it, but uh, that just 
never really happened uh, self-finance-wise. Um, but yeah, so four records, uh, like you mentioned, I'll Make It Up To You, I Swear, um, Blood On Blood, uh, Jesus Year. So what happened was Jason Lamoureux, uh, who I mentioned performs as the Corrupting Sea, um, he knew my friend Zachary Corsa, who performs as Non Kana, this uh, collective out of out of Memphis, hmm. who I had met on Facebook originally, um, and he and I bonded really well, uh, and we'd done a few shows together. We did a tour uh, 2019 of the East Coast. Cool. Um, and I played on, like, sent him snippets of things to record. I'm ostensibly a, a an auxiliary member of the project. Gotcha. Um, so Jason was living in Texas and was moving uh, to Louisville or uh, I think he's in Shepherdsville, which is, like, not quite Louisville, but, you know, not quite not enough mm-hmm. if that makes any sense mm-hmm. uh and he knew that he didn't super know like uh, a lot of people there so essentially he kind of like hey i've got a friend coming to town could you like you know he's looking to like like connect with people uh so we did and i can't remember if i shared jesus year with him or not and at some point or other in our conversations, he uh, expressed interest in wanting to put out whatever I do next, um, which is what became I'll Make It Up To You, I Swear. Mm. Um, and I sort of connected him with a few things in Louisville, including uh, the artist who did the cover art for I'll Make It Up To You, I Swear, Blood on Blood, and Negative Libra, mm-hmm. uh, a guy named Corey Fusting, who... Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I really want to talk about the artwork. And it's very obvious with, uh, sorry to cut you off, with with Negative Libra and um, I'll Make It Up To You, I Swear. You can clearly see the, the connections there. Yeah, um, if you if with you, the logo as well. Did he create the logo as well? Yeah, that's his handwriting. Okay. Um, cool. If you could see the back to Blood on Blood, um, you'll see the the connection there yeah. as well, um, which is <laughs> so one of the things with with Corey that I sort of encouraged him to do was much more like I think a much more minimalist minimalist style than he's used to um which i think he's he appreciated actually kind of me giving him i'll give him like a bare bones idea of like something like this this is the theme i'm feeling and then kind of trust him to like see it Mm. and then we'll kind of we'll tweak accordingly um which, side note, I guess is really sort of to say, like, I'm very reliant and appreciative of anybody that's involved in my records. I never quite look at it. It's a solo project, but I look at it as, like, an opportunity to 
be in collaboration with people, even if they're not the ones like making the sounds, I like to give them as much credit for it's all it's all part of the same big picture what they bring to it mm-hmm. um i'm very i've been very lucky in terms of people that i've had involved in it and i'm very grateful to them um and so i just wanted to put that out there that i absolutely yeah don't look at it as just like you know it's all me i it only sounds good because of and looks good because of everybody else you know mm-hmm I may be the the source, but they're the ones that sort of are able to mold it into something. Yeah, that's nice of you to say because there are a lot of artists and creative types out there that that um, even though I think you know in person because I've I've worked with a lot of them that uh, in person really appreciate the work that you do. Uh, me being a person that's been behind the scenes on many projects. Um, never, never really give credit to everyone else that made the whole thing happen. And, um, where usually it's like, it's fine if I did my job and then, then everything's good, then all's well that ends well. Um, but it is nice, you know, for, for people who are, you know, um, I guess maybe behind the scenes a little bit to, to get that recognition it's not like that's what it's not like that's what everything that matters in the world is recognition, but it's good that you are humble enough to give recognition and respect where it's deserved and earned with other people. Oh, I will I will credit anybody that <clears throat> sorry, did about anything on there. Yeah. Um my friend Carly Rhodes uh for some of the photography that's going to be featured in Negative Libra, um, she did some filtering on them to clean up the photos. And so I totally gave her a part of the photo credit because I felt like, yeah, you did something. No, you, I want to throw you. This is probably dorky of me, but anytime I've ever seen like my name show up on like a record in the thank yous, the few times it happened, I've been like, Oh shit! My name's on there. That makes yeah, me awesome. feel. That yeah. makes me feel cool. Yeah. So, I like to and hope that other people feel that way. So that I have my thank you list is usually pretty elaborate because I've I get a little kind of squee moment when I see my name on things. No, it's cool. Yeah. So I want to like possibly provide that feeling for. Oh, for yeah. people too. No, totally. Um, but yeah, uh, so I had Corey do the art for that, and he's done the art for all of the somewhere cold releases except for Jesus Year, um, which uh, my partner Jesse Wickers did the art for that. Okay. Um, that had been kind of worked on before somewhere cold came to the picture. Uh, so he did I'll Make It Up To You, I Swear, which was recorded by Sam and features drums by my friend uh, Rachel Thody, who is a Cincinnati drummer. Mm. Uh, she plays in this band Slow Glows uh, and this band Sharp Toys. Uh, and I 
new project called Dune Buggy. Hmm. Um, and I sort of knew she would, she's got this like heavy, jazzy kind of swing to it. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're a Galaxy 500 fan, but. I've never heard of them, no. She kind of touches on that while also being sort of like a, getting a good stomp. She, what it is about her that I find like timing wise really interesting and probably the, the key jazz element is she tends to lead with the ride. Mm-hmm. Very jazz, yeah. Rather than the kick. So she, it's a lot of like ride accents is what she will do. And she often like uses cool. that yeah. more, I feel like, and I may be totally wrong about her process, but just what I've seemed to observe is that she tends to keep time a lot more with the ride than what you would, different types of drummers would. Which mm-hmm. It's more of a jazz thing. Yeah. Which, where rock is more like kick and snare, you know, driven. Well, and You know, the funny, the reason behind that being is, don't you, is that like ostensibly when you had to record jazz back in the day, you had like everybody in the same room. So you couldn't have a drummer just like, you know, blasting the kick and the mm. the tom all in the snare all the time because that would like overpower the band mm. so jazz as much is so cymbal heavy because that was a thing they could like sort of touch on without like overwhelming the band yeah makes um, sense yeah which i always found really fascinating is that jazz music being so top heavy and i guess Horns aren't in quite the same frequency range that, say, uh, guitar music is Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's that that Lou Reed adage that later got turned into a band name of, like, you know, cymbals eat guitars Mm -hmm. because guitars, you know, and cymbals, you obviously know, like, work in the same frequency range. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess that's... Is that not true with horns? I've never... Not much with well it can, they kind of occupy their own little space and that's what's that's what's great about a lot of uh, jazz and just older music in general um, where before multi-track was a big big thing um, yeah. it was very much about the arrangement and where everything sat yeah and so you know what I mean you had like your your drums and your kind of thing that was going on and you had like your super low you know, like upright bass, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, that's going to sit with, with horns and things just perfectly fine, you know, and they can all kind of be in their own little space. They just, it, they just occupy a different part of the frequency spectrum. Which, you know, to tie back to country is funny about why like the, the baritone and six string guitar mm-hmm. or six string bass rather came into play was to essentially like accent the the thumpy stand-up bass right would you call like the the tic-tac bass the i tic- think yeah yeah tic-tac or what what did they call it yeah yeah oh, probably tic-tac yeah. yeah yeah i think it's something rooted tic-tac in like guitar the yeah. tone of it um just kind of layers up with the thunk 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 yeah, yeah exactly um but so i had her come down and play drums on a couple of things and that i just wanted to give her a shout out because she's incredible both as a person and as a drummer Mm. um 
So we did that at Summer Cold. Um, Blood on Blood is actually a uh, a compilation release wherein it is a uh, like I had mentioned before about me getting really improvisational, and I had started like because it was locked down. A lot of people were doing like digital compilations for various things, and mm-hmm. so for a stretch, I was coming off with all these one-off pieces for that um and i kind of just wanted them collected together um just because i like to have i like to have things i can like look at and touch i'm a little old-fashioned like that um my head has a somewhat hard time wrapping its brain around things just being solely digital no, yeah, there's, there's, um, and we, and I've, I've talked about this with, with folks on here before as well. Is that um, having it in your hand and being able to look at it and, and you know, um, really have a sensory uh, tactile experience. tactile experience with it is something that you're never ever going to get with digital fully digital fully online streaming and that's that's a facet of the music that um people you know that have grown up with having that uh sorely miss and ones that have never had that before will never know yeah and it's it's certainly an aspect of consuming music you know uh, being able to 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 look at the pictures and read along with the lyrics and um you know, it's, 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 it's this whole experience. It's this whole experience. And, um, yeah, you, you miss that with digital. And I think somebody, I think somebody needs to replicate that in some sort of way, at least somewhat, at least have like, you know, digital, um, digital, not maybe not ebook, but like, uh, you know, like some sort of digital replication where you can go through and, and, click through the pages or something, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, make it an interactive experience. Notes. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it kind of like what enhanced CDs kind of did back in the day a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those were cool. <laughs> Get that Deftones Pac-Man game. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but uh, so maybe we should bring that back, you know what I mean, in some sort of way. Try to create some some digital products to, to, to go along with our music, you know, to, to make it a little bit more engaging. I just, I'm fine with with digital i just like to have a physical component at least for my it's own nice. sake yeah. i put out two three what i considered eps even though i think like two of them are 40 minutes long like earlier this year but what i think about like those being um desert hearts uh i've got troubles you've never heard of and cockfighters lament which are all on uh my band camp um, droneroom.bandcamp.com it is there it is <laughs> but negative libra is at droneroomswc.bandcamp.com because uh, somewhere cold makes their own little artist page for gotcha. it yeah. um, oh, we're going to have links to all this stuff yeah we're going to have links to all this stuff I just wanted stuff. to do my like you know buy now <laughs> voice yeah. uh, and for only seven dollars right <laughs> But, like, I put those out, but I sort of, I don't quite lump them into 
what I would consider my discography in the same way I do like physical releases. Like I consider albums I've actually put out like put out to be like the at this point the four on somewhere cold because they and the tape I did on on Sweet Sounds Records uh, called Piss Poor because they're they're physical things. Mm-hmm. So I consider like while I've released material between the other doesn't, which is the one that came out on Humanhood and Negative Libra. I consider Negative Libra to be the actual follow-up to The Other Doesn't rather than any of the three things that I put out in between digitally because it's the next physical thing. And not that those things were dashed off, they weren't, but they were sort of created for Bandcamp Day to be like these little... right little just kind of peek-ins about the process rather than being like what I would pretentiously say like is a statement record. Mm-hmm. Kind of like extras, not extras, but like supplement, supplementary yeah. music almost. I consider like when I'm making when I make a physical record to tie back to what you're saying about being conceptual or what I was, what we were both saying about being conceptual is I consider that to be like those things to be like statement releases physical things because they matter sounds dismissive but if they're being put out physically it needs to have more purpose than just I made some music here it is yeah you know it's on bandcamp that's they all mean stuff to me but if it's going to be something physically released it has to mean more that makes it mm-hmm. sound dismissive of other things but yeah I, I i get what you're saying though um it seems more official and yeah it's a it's more of a statement and something statement. i would yeah. want to be like i'm gonna push that to get more like potentially reviewed somewhere mm-hmm. or what have you mm-hmm. than something i release you know digitally into the ether right something that's going to come out physically is something that you know, it's something I can sell at a merch table mm-hmm. when merch tables are a thing again. They both last forever. Yeah. But, um, but you know, one is something that's more tangible, it if feels like. a label's going to spend money to physically make it, it's got to be something worth, worth being the time made physically. Effort, you know, and the money. Um, but, yeah, so... And then after Blood on Blood, uh, then Jason was willing to reissue Jesus year for me on physical, uh, which is great because I got to use my partner's art. She had made art for it for what was supposed to be a CD, but I got the tape offer and another friend of mine I had the idea at the time, the idea that like I would have the CD art that she made, and then if I ever got like a tape offer, I'd have someone else make a tape because it's funny in my head to be like, oh, well, they got two different arts, so you got to buy both of them because yeah. they look different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. buy the limited edition green pressing and then buy the, <laughs> the red cassette next. Yeah. You got you to gotta own them all. Yeah, exactly. The coll- it's a collector edition. 
Yeah, yeah, you know. That's how record labels get you. 100%. You know, 50 marbled vinyl. <laughs> yeah. A uh, friend of mine made one that was like in a weird purple swirl color, and we called it, like, I think, either here or I called it, like, Drank colored vinyl. Do you remember, have you ever seen Drank? Mm-mm. So, <laughs> Drank was this god-awful anti-energy drink. Like, it was, like, supposed to help make you sleepy. Um, <laughs> but it essentially presented itself as, like, you know, buy at a gas station, like, fake lean. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's purple drank. Yeah, but yeah. It's, but it's in, like, a 16-ounce can, and it sort of tasted like sweet tarts, and I don't know who's going to be able to, like, drink, like, a tall boy to make them go to sleep because so I'd be like oh I, I just want to have to like piss and like <laughs> yeah as soon as I got comfy enough to sleep then then you know that's gonna totally <laughs> yeah <laughs> but so he made a a record that was purple and so I referred to it as like drank colored vinyl because it just made me laugh <laughs> um but <laughs> but yeah so her art didn't end up getting used for a long stretch and I felt really bad about it because she'd put a whole lot of effort and put a lot of meaning into the things she collaged together so I was very grateful that Jason was willing to uh, release it on CD both because I I prefer the format that's it's a format that I have just like so much music on that in my head, and it's no offense to anybody that collects vinyl, I'm I'm honestly at the at the point of thought of where like we should really be post medium, like media preference to where like all media is valid media. Mm, yeah. Um because you'll get people that'll be like, you know, I don't buy CDs, I only buy vinyl because vinyl is superior and I'm like It's the way it was supposed to be heard. I'm like, yeah. well but don't yuck someone else's yum that likes mm-hmm. CDs. If you like vinyl, great, that's there for you. You know, in my dream world, labels would have the money to release everything on whatever format anybody mm-hmm anybody wants it on you know mm-hmm. for the people that love vinyl just they can, consume the music they can get vinyl i like cds so i'm gonna buy a cd mm-hmm. i like cds too i've always loved cds i still have i still have my giant cd cases you know some people CDs. buy cassettes still that's that's, that's coming a thing again that's yeah. becoming a thing again i just i just uh was part of a release that I, uh, an album that I mastered in Ambient. Uh, it was actually the last episode, um, or wait, no, two episodes ago, uh, with uh, Derek Pearson, Silence in the Unwinking Minds. He's, I've worked on two uh, record releases with him, both released on cassette. Yeah. And it's super cool. Yeah. Um, somewhat, or uh, uh, Sweet Sounds is principally been all cassettes, so my piss poor single. I did was on cassette and Keith who runs Sweet Sounds and myself and a couple of other friends of ours had a a improvisational band called Lucy Stoner Mm. that was released on cassette. One of the cassettes was like (laughs) was wrapped in brass. Like (laughs) (laughs) brass. Keith got this idea 
um, to he was getting he was getting really into art where he would like press like sheets like thin sheets of brass right he was getting mm. really into like making art on that and so he only made like fourteen copies of the tape and made an image pressed into brass and just like wrapped the brass around the tape wow they're pretty wild to look at it's fantastic yeah. to and he's actually now been doing this this really cool thing where he's been his last tape under his his own project odd circles was released in what sort of looks like a book on tape like case hmm. like it unfold like you know it's like dvd sized yeah, or at least yeah. like blu-ray sized and you pop it open and there's like the cassette in there and he's yeah. got a little like booklet and everything so he's that's that's pretty cool actually i like that he's really striving to make it to where his releases for the label are going to be something that stand out um in the realm of cassette releases so there's not just another plastic tray with a j card mm. he wanted to make he wants to make something that's very unique and interesting to look at um and worth buying the physical for because you're getting something unique yeah um and that's been a that's big cool. goal of his uh the whole time he's been working with cassettes is figuring out a way to like make them interesting and sellable in a worth your worth your time and money mm -hmm. you know that you're not just because this this might sound dismissive apologies to anybody if it accidentally comes across this way i actually don't know a lot of people with tape players but i know a lot of people that buy tapes even if they don't have tape players mm -hmm. right because you can still most of them come with like the band camp download code so you yeah. can you know slam it into your band camp app mm -hmm. but what's cool is that it why, why I sort of think tapes have made a comeback, really, is it is cheap merch. It's cheap, for sure. You can make a cassette and sell it for, like, five bucks. And someone comes up to your table, maybe they can't afford, like, a $15, $20 t-shirt or a $10 CD. Yeah. But they will give you five bucks for a cassette. Yeah. Even if they'll just take it home and like add it to a pile of things that they never <laughs> yeah. listen to. Yeah. But they, if you have like, you know, it's it's like buying stickers from a band, you know, it's, it's you want to support them in some way. Mm -hmm. And if you buy the cassette, you get the download code. Yeah. You know, no, I'm sure that that's been a motivation many, many times. Yeah. For sure, for bands going out on the road and uh, we just need to sell something. You know, that's... um. Yeah, and I'm, so I'm not knocking... It's not a bad tapes. thing. No, it's great. Yeah. If people are buying shit at your merch table, awesome. Awesome, yeah, for sure. Um, And if they have a way to listen to it, even awesome as well. Mm -hmm. I just got something that'll play tapes for the first time, like ever really yeah i've got a sweet one right over you, can, you probably can't see it it's behind the keyboard there but it's a super awesome old school task cam like uh cassette recorder 
Uh, it's got it's got pitch and speed control. Oh, nice. Like the whole thing. It's like a super awesome tech, like cassette player. And I'm so glad I have it. It was it was essentially a gift from a studio um, back in Nashville, County Q Productions. They had like a uh, a barn. <laughs> it was that's what that's what Paul called it. He was the owner, Paul Scolton, but he called it a barn for some reason. But it was just like a shed in the back, yeah. And it was filled with all kinds of old gear. I've got gear in this rack right here, uh huh. Like some old EQs and stuff that are all fucked up. That were like sitting in a warehouse, uh, sitting in this barn. Nice. The shed for like fifteen years, just like brown recluses laying nests in the in the, <laughs> in the inside the whole thing. And we cleaned it out one day when I first started working. When I first started interning there, and uh, I got some really, I got a like old uh, record player out of it that doesn't work, and nice all kinds of cool stuff out of it. Do you man. ever like try to balance anything down into the cassette player? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just I've, like. Yeah, totally. Dirty it up. Mm-hmm. Do you get that tape saturation for sure? Yeah. Yeah. Or can you, are you able to like say, do the old Rolling Stones move, but in a different way of like tracking into the cassette and then back out? You know, like how you could play into the console and it, yeah. like that's how you got the street fighting man like distorted right. yeah, tone. Yeah. Cause that's an acoustic guitar, you know, run through the mixing board. Yeah. Um, no, I've never, tr- I'm, I should now. Um, I haven't tried that yet, but uh, but I I I certainly can. I was thinking, I was curious how like you if it would get like a good ratty or a bad ratty. I think it depends on it. You know what I mean? Like if I send like uh, some cool like keys pad into it and just sort the fuck out of it. You know what I yeah. mean? And and just make it kind of like just nice and overly saturated and, and super lo-fi you know what i mean like it should they're just tools man you know what i mean like yeah. i can use that thing literally to any way that i want to and it's cool because i get to pick up so much cool tape saturation in the process and everything nice yeah i love having it i don't use it as much as i'd like to but um it's awesome like it's i love vaporwave it, it up yeah exactly <laughs> so well cool man i think um I think we're kind of reeling in on this year. We've been going for quite a while now, but uh, so thank you, thank you so much for for coming in, man. It's been super, super fun to have you on. It's been a great talk, you know, totally. just about music in general and everything. And and um, just to kind of touch back on something you said earlier, um, your Vegas time might be limited. You planning on moving away? Uh, there's plans for it. Um. I. <laughs> you don't have to get too deep into anything, you know. Yeah, it's it's more of a knock on wood sort of thing. I I can tell you a little bit more. Uh, it's 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 much oh, like yeah, a jinxing sure. thing. Yeah, yeah, for if sure. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd rather not say this is going to happen, and then like mm-hmm. that's always the most sure way of like. Yeah. Ensuring that it doesn't. It's like like you should never make definitive statements about anything yeah. in public <laughs> yeah um because you will inevitably find yourself in that <laughs> in that exact scenario that you said you weren't going to end up in yeah that sort of thing if that makes any sense no 100 percent. yeah but yeah there's there's 
back is um, just generally speaking more back home? Yes and no. Yeah. Back in that direction, but that's just more because the West Coast as a whole, if you need to be anywhere within close it's it's a distance thing like to be anything that allows you access to things is is a bit more cost prohibitive mm. out yeah. here yeah and which of course you know is why everyone from los angeles comes here yeah is because it's cheaper than <laughs> than LA. It's cheaper in la yeah but cheaper than la is still not cheap <laughs> Oh no, yeah, it's 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 getting expensive here for sure. Like it's getting real expensive here. Much more expensive than Kentucky, that's for sure. Yeah, no, Nashville's crazy now. Oh god, yeah. I I don't think I could ever it's nuts. do Nash again. Um my time there was solid, but <sighs> Nashville just doesn't work. For me as a city after being in like somewhere like louisville mm. um and seeing how a city and a scene can work mm. in a much more positive interesting way where there's yeah i've never i've never been to to louisville personally uh, I don't know why. I, I was in Nashville for almost five years and never went up there. Um, other parts of Kentucky, but but never there. I always wanted to go there. A lot of people who I know who are from there really really like it, and it seems like it seems like a smaller, more homey Nashville. You know, it's a city, and it because it's the size of a city, and it's definitely a large city, but it's one that operates more as as a town. And it's it's as much like a city like Nashville, or even let's say here, even because you know there's a reason Nashville is sometimes called Nash Vegas. Yeah. The way people's ambitions work and what their end goals with art are different than smaller towns. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a small town. Yeah, I definitely know what you're saying. Or, or other cities that aren't so rooted in... Uh, I wouldn't say tourist industries. Nashville at this point is, is very keyed in on its tourist selling points. It didn't mm -hmm. used to be, but... It's an it city now. Yeah. Yeah. And this town is definitely centered on... It's all about tourism here in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and cities like that, the way their arts operate are going to be different than something that is slightly more insular and closed off and doesn't have... I don't even know if it's pressure, but like, I'll say pressure for lack of a better word. Um to hustle and this is like your your sole means of 
you know, like your Nashville session dudes are are hustling left and right to be on like mm-hmm. this record, that record. Like we were talking about songwriters. Mm-hmm. Let's get my song on this. Yeah, the, you se- know. The, the session player scene is a whole different thing too. On this like Tim McGraw record, I got to get yeah. that that hustling. And so there's so much more hustle going on. It's very business. There's a yeah. lot of business. Uh, that's what one thing that's cool about certain parts of East Nashville is because I think you get that um, that kind of <clears throat> uh, more passion. You get you get the passion for for music in in a lot of these smaller sections of like East Nashville and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Going to to some of these some of these shows. You know what I mean? Where it's just I think there used to be. I sort of feel like it's that even that's getting gentrified out because people are buying up the the houses there and turning them into Airbnbs. For sure, there's there's that whole thing too. That's why I say it's it's like certain parts, and it's it's more like certain. um, God, and it's even just saying it just sounds gross, but just like certain uh, groups of people or certain you know uh, cliques or whatever, where you can find that that pure uh, love for music you know and um but not i mean like you say yeah i mean it's it's everything and i i moved there when all of that was really starting to become like a thing there yeah and um yeah i left in 2016 16 um what year is it 2021 i guess i moved there close in i think it was 2014 Okay, that's when that, I moved there. I left in like 2016, that. but I had like lived in Middle Tennessee from Murfreesboro into Nashville Metro um, from like oh six to six, so about ten years. Mm. Um, but so other towns like uh, that aren't so business centric. I don't want to say there's lack of ambition because people care about art, but there's less of a ambition to have it be the thing they live off of. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Like, well, and honestly, in the opportunities, usually less and less business towns too. And so, like, if you're somebody who is like. You know, if you're an artist who's like trying to become a very successful artist, going somewhere like Nashville or L.A. or something like that, um, where everything is very, very business could work to your advantage. Yeah. Um, And so it's like how you navigate that is completely up to you. Um, I would I would say in in towns like that, the ability to succeed is well, simultaneously easier, but also much harder because it's so saturated. Um, but, yeah. you know, the, the, there are more resources, but you have to navigate that business side of everything. And that sucks. And I think the definition of success is... Oh, uh, yeah. It's a very some, subjective somewhat term. Somewhat transient. Um, yeah. I mean, I am... I'm fully aware and not, and I don't mean this in a dismissive way, but I am very conscious and aware of the fact that like, you know, what I do is, is it's niche. 
Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be, you know, touring with, with Harry Styles or whatnot, doing instrumental, you know. Right. Totally. You know, spacey guitar music. Um, That's not a bad thing. I mean. No. And I mean, if Harry Styles were to ask me, yeah, I'd totally open for Harry Styles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No shame in that game. Um, he's he's a hard worker and, you know, uh, seems to be a great dude. But, I mean, I don't expect what I do to, like, shoot me onto billboard charts or anything right. like that. I'm well aware that there is there's an audience for instrumental music. Mm-hmm. It's a, I was explaining this to somebody how... Instrumental music as a concept, right? If you think about it, how it works is like both background music and not. But the idea that like a lot of people don't put any thought about instrumental music unless it's like in a movie or whatever mm-hmm. is that people who aren't musicians, right? Um, I want to say very likely, I don't want to say definitively. Um, they have a harder time relating to it and connecting with it. Mm-hmm. Vocal music allows anybody, not anybody, but like the it's, human, the human voice yeah. is provides a key into the music and the language as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. it sort of tells you, okay, this is what the song's about. This is yeah. A way to feel about it because this is how this person is expressing their feeling mm-hmm. i have a human voice um it's they have a human it. voice i can sing along to it mm-hmm. you know so you can it helps and in hell i would say a lot of people that get very focused on like the vocal music so this is a really weird thing so like a <laughs> where i work we get a lot of like the pop hits playing all over and it's like a wide swath of them. And it's one of those things where either you tune out or what I'm the person who will sit there and like start breaking it, like breaking it down. Mm. I'll be like, Oh, here comes the really weird part of the song when it sounds like a cat walked over a keyboard. Um, yeah. So, but I don't think most people would like pick up on that cause it's a weird instrumental flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, so with instrumental music, your average listener can pick up on it, but I feel like it doesn't necessarily always appeal to your average listener because of the lack of human voice. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree with that, but that doesn't make it any less worth doing. No, no. Um, yeah. But I just mean to say that, I, so I'm aware that while I love doing what I'm doing and will continue to do it, I'm not expecting like my idea of what a successful career is different than, um, uh, trying to think of someone like different than Harry Styles. (laughs) Right. You know, like you're not going to be John Mayer, like, you know, and that's totally cool. I know people who, you know, who are, you know, uh, doing that thing 
And I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I also know people who are doing the exact opposite. It's people like you, people like me, that are doing things that are never going to be mainstream. Yeah. Uh, I don't care that it's never going to be mainstream. I love it. I seek out music like this, you know, uh, intentionally. And um, because it's what I like. Yeah. And there's always going to be people that are that way, you know. And, um, you know, so, yeah, the, the term success is, is such a it's 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 convoluted. It's very subject, subjective. And, you know, a lot of people get hung up on it. But, you know, like, you know, just just you being able to put out the music you want to put out and live where you want to live and do the things you want to do. That's pretty damn successful, man. Yeah. I always said that the minute I get not just like seeing if I get like a write-up in a review or the local paper, if that stops making me feel like excited, then I should just stop because clearly I have like lost the plot Yeah, of just like, hey, someone noticed me. That's... That's cool. And I mean, I would make it even if no one noticed me, but but appreciating the fact that someone, if I grow to the point where I don't appreciate the fact that someone, someone cares, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, then if I take that for granted, then I feel like that's, that's a stopping point yeah. um, for, for me as if like, I'm like, oh, someone, someone's interested. Fair, I, you know, yeah. heard that before. Yeah, man. The, the, that's that's the way I think too. Is you know, the if anybody would ever gain something from anything that I do in any way, shape, or form that positively affected them in any way, I'm like surprised for one, uh, but blown away. You know what I mean? It's just the fact that like. Somebody actually related to something that I did is is a ridiculously amazing feeling. And maybe when, you know, these superstars, they become so jaded and it's just like so they, you know, they have all these adoring fans that, you know, when they drive in their car, they're all like banging on the windows like, I love you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine something. And I know I would never want something like that. Yeah. You know, that's t- way too much. Um but they just be, you know, at some point your skin probably hardens and you become jaded and you just start to not care. And at that point, it's like, what are we even doing anymore? Yeah. Like, why are we even doing this? You know? Yeah. No, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful anyone wants to listen or have it on. I always tell people when they ask about, like, what I do for people that aren't people at my job they ask like what kind of music do you do and i'll generally just kind of be like oh well you know instrumental guitar music it's a thing where like you can pay as much attention to it as you as you want because what i've always found interesting with playing live is i'm always like you know it can be background music if you want to like do something else while it's happening and it's Mm -hmm. just kind of like soothing the background that's cool it's that's what it's there for if you want to like 
pay close attention to every pedal change that's going on and every note that I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. flowing through. Cool. Um, if you want probably to fall asleep. Yeah. I've had people that fall asleep during like live sets. And I'm like, they'll be like, sorry, man, I just really spaced out in the middle of your set. And I'm like, no, that's perfect. That's okay. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. I had someone once was like, you know, I kind of just like zoned out and I started seeing this train going, you know, through all these mountains and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, that's amazing. Yeah. That's perfect. I, I, that I was able to like, that you weren't even like necessarily the notes weren't catch, but you were like suddenly mm-hmm. like visualizing something. Yeah. Just rooted on the overall overtones that were coming out. That's almost. Yeah. Cooler to me than if you like. Oh, I liked it when you played that B flat into yeah. that like G move. There. That inverted chord was so amazing when you played it over this. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd rather have someone be like, you know. I saw some wizard stab a dragon and, like, (laughs) drink its blood. Uh, Well, and, you know, even, you know, going back to just where you can kind of just pay attention to it in the the way that you want to and just kind of, you know, just experience it the way that you want to. I mean, I think that was the entire intention um, when the great Brian Eno created ambient music when he made music for airports. Yeah, he has that exact, that that quote about it, you know, that... Ambient music should be as I'm, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, but as obtrusive as it is unobtrusive, right? Something to that effect, and so that's yeah. That's why it was called music for airports? You know, I don't really necessarily think of what I do as definitively ambient, just because I feel like there's there's too much definition to be ambient right. in my head. Like ambient is a lot more washed out so i've never been that big on owning that tag just because i feel like there's too much yeah too much note movement but i do use a lot of delay and reverb well I, yeah well yeah well <laughs> if we're just talking effects for sure then you're definitely ambient if which we're is just why i did like effects, but like say ambient americana which yeah hints on both the it's an approach thing what i consider to be Western score, country leanings, even if I'm not, like, you mm-hmm. know, whipping out a B-bender. Um, yeah. But <laughs> that's sort of soundscape score-ish kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Not to be pretentious about things that my music's cinematic. That always sort of sounds pretentious, too. But if anyone that well, makes you know films what? wants to, like... Hit me up to score their film, hintity hint hint. I, I love that. making. I call it dramatic. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I make dramatic music when I make music, and um, you know the music that I make. I'm trying to convey a uh, a mood, a feeling. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't put that much thought into how I'm going to express that. Besides the fact that I just need to do it i just need to create that feeling and usually it comes out being you know i guess cinematic being uh you know um moody you know i don't know you know what i mean and i don't really care to know um it's just what i do you know what's i've always had the fun of like going back and because i'm that person that will totally listen to their own music um i hate listening to my own music 
I know, <laughs> I know a lot of people that do, but it's it almost becomes like a time capsule for me though. Like I will listen I can see that. to yep. things that I've done like a while back, and I'll still be surprised at like, oh, I forgot I did this part here, and I'm like, huh, I was in like a weird headspace for doing this, or it'll be really funny, or like like what the other doesn't. That was recorded two weekends, July, June, July 2020, and that record sounds like an anxiety attack to me. I've had other people that reviewed it that said it feels like a calm center, but I can hear in it with like my note choices and the way that like the tones, I can hear like anxiety and, mm -hmm. and stress in it and it's sort of like a like a phase cancellation sort of thing of by making what i consider anxious music i guess when other people hear it, it i guess by the act of creating it that i'm sort of canceling it out in a way um, well a lot of music like that can be very cathartic and that's why i really like listening to it um because I, you know, it's like when you're sad and you want to listen to a sad song. Yeah. It's like, you know, you just, you need to experience feelings and you need to experience emotions when they happen, as they happen, and music can help that way. Totally. And, um, you know, that's the entire reason that, like, I have this tattoo on my, my forearm that says Music Heals on it. Um, and it was that entire reason because, you know... That is one thing that is always constant. No matter what's happening in your life, you always know that the music is always going to be there. You can always listen to the song that made you feel the way it made you feel. And you can go back to that when you're feeling that way. And you can purge what's yeah. going on. And, and that's the most powerful thing in the world. Or even like age into it in a different way oh yeah like the killers dude oh my god like i used to hate the killers when i was growing up mm -hmm. it's like these guys were ridiculous this is a stupid band you know what i mean and i remember i was living in nashville at the time and uh mr brightside came on the radio and i was like and i was listening to it and i'm like okay i get it now yeah yeah and it's like and then all of a sudden like now i like that band a lot <laughs> Which is so weird, you know what I mean? It's oh, well, so weird. From being here where they're ostensibly from. Oh my God, yeah. It, when I came here, they're just everywhere. And then, then it's just kind of like, that's a different thing now. But um, but it's like, I hit a point in my life where it's like, wow, I get what the killers were trying to do. Yeah, that like Springsteen yeah. meets like glam pop thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, I okay, I get it now, you know what I mean? It's like, I hadn't... I don't know if it was a maturity thing. I don't know if it was like I was so when I was younger, I was so interested in being like I, I just I I just listened to like you know, I, I just listened to Tool over and over and I was just like, you know, just like uh you know I've just, been there. Yeah, no Tool is my absolute favorite band. They always will be. And they've 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 touched me on a level um that I that, that nothing ever has before. Elbow deep inside the borderline. Exactly. You know what I mean. I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking. Little kid in a Catholic church touched me deep. I'm kidding. 
kidding. But um, but no, they they hit me. Uh, <laughs> they hit me. They hit they hit me deep at a at a, an age where it needed to happen, and um, so I was I was very very. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off there. I I was I was, I'm, I was so so deeply into like extreme internal personal expression when I was younger yeah. that a band like the killers was just like <sighs> puking, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a way to, especially as you get older with things, you can sort of try to appreciate things for, for what they are. If that makes sense. There's, I don't think everything needs to be judged on the exact same plane, if that makes sense. Yeah. You can... You should judge, like, pop music, you know, as pop music, in a way. Or listen... You could listen to it, for like, from a production standpoint, or an arrangement standpoint, and, like, try to, like find something interesting in that way even if say the songwriting doesn't speak to you that's become a big thing of mine of like or it has been for a while of if you hate something just because everyone else likes it you're an asshole essentially mm-hmm. I've strived really hard and I've, I mean I've certainly failed at it to like if someone else appreciates this as long as it's not like hurtful racist music or what have you, yeah. Um, then there's probably some merit that maybe isn't for me, but like there's some merit to it for that person. And if that brings that person like a spark of joy or however you want to phrase it, mm-hmm. then it's a beautiful thing. Who am I to like shit on that? Yeah. Um, it's funny. My brother one time when talking about my doom metal band <laughs> provided me what what sounds like a backhanded compliment, but he meant it sincerely, or I choose chose to take it sincerely. When I played him the band, he's a kid that like plays like a fucking seven and eight string, can do all like the tappy tappy deedly deedly shit. And as yeah. I'm saying this, like I mentioned before, I'm totally. Yeah. Imitating it. It's just like some crazy sweeps you're playing there. Yeah, except I don't actually know how to do any of that. <laughs> um, but so I played him like my doom metal band, which really was more like slow tad is probably the better way to describe it. Um, and his response to it was, you know, well, it sounds like something you'd listen to. <laughs> oh, my God. The amount of times I've heard that goddamn phrase, dude. But it's... <laughs> I don't think he meant it as a backhanded compliment. I think yeah. he meant that, like, you're making the kind of music that you like to make and that you listen to, and yeah. you've succeeded in making something that is, like, something you like. Yeah. That's the way I chose to take it. I have no clue if that's how he meant it, but I took it as you succeeded in... Because I was listening to a lot of, like, doom metal at the time, mm-hmm. and so I made music that I would like and I'm a person that's like if I'm not making music that I wouldn't want to listen to why am I making it Mm -hmm. I want to make stuff that I would want to like 
throw on in my car and you know space out to yeah um otherwise i don't know what who are you what are you doing yeah who are you making it for if not yeah for yourself in a way i mean you're making it for others to hear of course but you're trying to follow your, your own creative impulses being a creative person is a very selfish endeavor at times yeah. you know and and there's nothing wrong with that you know what i mean um, because there's a time and place when you need to express yourself and you need to do the things that you do you yeah. know there's plenty of time to be fucking nice to other people and mm -hmm. you know and um do things and, and serve other people and, and do all the, the good things in the world. But man, sometimes you, you got to serve yourself too. And it comes out in, you know, at least with creative people in creative projects and art. Yeah. And that's why we do it. It's self-care. It's self-care. Or it's a, it's a way to, to process things. Yeah. Like I said, it's listening back to my own stuff. I can sort of hear like my own line of, of thinking with stuff and like a lot of times like I don't really know what I've made to an extent I'll have like my concept but I'll go back and listen to it and be like okay this is how I should frame it together to make it make something and like okay I can see like a narrative now that I can like cause, you, know, you gotta write your press release and you gotta right. present it in a way that makes it feel cohesive and so by listening back to it i can um i can sort of hear where my head's at with stuff to then know the cohesiveness and what it's trying to do mm -hmm. um what the pieces together are trying to do um and whatnot in a way that maybe i didn't think about at the time I was doing it, but by organizing it, I can, I'm very good or both very good and very into creating lanes for myself. Um, cause like, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm very bad about having like 40 ideas at once. Mm -hmm. So what helps me somewhat is to create like lanes for myself. Like, this is what this is, think in this direction for it. That doesn't mean, like, I can't swerve out of it, but I need a direction to think in or else it gets very scattered and unfocused and I don't know what I'm making. Hmm. Um, like, I've, in addition to the, the records I've been making, I've been kind of making potential collaboration pieces for people. Like I've been just kind of improvising in an idea of something and then trying to send it to somebody to add to. Um, so for example, Jason from somewhere cold and I uh, are doing a project that I've named rich God, which <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> well, it was, I misread this guy, I think he plays in like the psychedelic furs or hmm. guns and roses or both of them and his name's rich good and i misread it as rich, rich god, god. <laughs> and i'm like oh that guy's got like a cool name and i'm like oh wait it's rich good but i'm totally using rich god yeah and <laughs> rich god yeah so 
But what I got into was like I got this wild hair after playing all this kind of quieter music. I was like, you know what? I just want to turn on like a really obnoxious octave fuzz that can't track for shit, like the Blue Box. <laughs> yeah. The MX. I don't know if you're familiar with the MXR Blue Box, but it is like the most beautifully stupid pedal ever because it is like a 1970s circuit of an octave fuzz guitars that used to 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 play with all the time had one yeah yeah like you know that thing doesn't track for shit yeah you throw like anything below the seventh fret you throw a chord into it it's like doesn't know what the fuck's going on (laughs) yeah but you run that through say like a rat and i mean that's ostensibly like almost the sun sound oh yeah um it's an amazing pedal the rat it's it's like 60 bucks or something like that it's amazing so I just really just wanted to like crank up and just like just freeform solo and just hit open chords through a blue box into a rat or like a fuzz factory and just like make this like yeah yeah, yeah. and maybe you'll get if you finger pick through like an oct like a monophonic octave fuzz that hates the shit oh, out yeah. of like trying to do that like it is like. I don't know what note I'm supposed to be yeah, tracking right just now. Freaks out. Yeah. But then you run that through like a rat it's like most to like, synth pedals <laughs> to like smooth it out just a little bit. Yeah. And so I've just been making these like obnoxious freeform, you know, guitar scronk things. And sent one over to him and he was like, Oh, I or I sent one of them over to him. He's like, I love this. I'm gonna totally want to do something with this. I was like, Okay, so do you want that to be like this will be what Rich got is, is me doing this kind of thing. And then I'll just make a whole bunch of stuff while I'm in this mindset of, I want to be just obnoxiously loud again. And, you know, let that run its course and make like four or five things. And then that sort of becomes what that, that project is to me. Um, although I'd also have this ridiculous idea of wanting to do like, because Rich God also in my head sounds like a, like a rap handle, like like a <laughs> yeah totally. So I jokingly told him I don't think he's gonna go forth. I really want to like release the, but it's gonna be like an avant garde noise record. But I want to release it in those old um, like Cash Money like CD cases that have like <laughs> you know like the slots on the side. Like this, yeah, I think man. Snapcase used them too for like on their stuff and to have like the the diamond like oh my god that's hilarious and like the logo with like diamonds yeah he's totally yeah. not gonna go for this but <laughs> that's so funny i was like we we need to package i don't think i don't think he would get the reference yeah because he spent much of the 90s like in academia so i don't think he would get mm. like the you yeah. know cash money records <laughs> <laughs> i have to dig up a picture and show it to him and yeah and not explain because I also have this like, and he's totally gonna hear when I explain this. To, for me, I wanted to like name them after like really overt pop lyrics. Nice, because I knew he wouldn't get the references and like have him put it out and then explain afterwards. But he's totally gonna hear now, like, <laughs> oh yeah, every song title in this it's a Taylor Swift lyric. <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. But I now I've ruined that. When he hears this, he's totally yeah. gonna like know that that's what i've been doing with all of them maybe we'll be into it hey just be into it because it's hilarious yeah <laughs> it's hilarious sorry we were supposed to wrap up like a half ago. yeah it was like a half hour ago or something like that but no it's good man um yeah we've been going for like 150 minutes 
<laughs> yeah. I love it. With Matt Penfield. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks again, man. This has been such a great conversation. Um, it's it's great to to hang out with you for a bit. And um, yeah. it's it's been a little while. You I'm know, trying not to be as much of a stranger. Same, man. We, we've been, you know, you moved here in the... Uh, in the middle of a pandemic yeah and life has been strange and um i hope at least while you're still here we can uh we can we can link up a little bit more and maybe do a do a quick record or something while you're still here in town totally yeah into it be cool all right man well um thank you to everybody especially if you're still here like (laughs) Those two or three people that are still here. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we love you so much. Uh, appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, and uh, Blake, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. Of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. All right. We'll uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. Right. Bye. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Uh, this was a long episode, so if you're still here, man, heads off. Um, I really, really appreciate it. You're the type of person that I'm, I'm doing this for, so I, I really, really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. We got pretty deep into a lot of, um, you know, kind of, I guess, the, uh, the nerdier side of creating music, especially um, when it comes to making music like Blake does with Drone Room. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to find Blake. I've got all of his links down below where you can buy his new album. Uh, all kinds of stuff from him are going to be in the links below. Uh, also, make sure to head over to the Dreaming in F Minor Facebook page uh, as well as the Instagram at Dreaming in F Minor. I have a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Dreaming in F Minor. And... Uh, yeah, thanks everybody for for sticking around with this one. It uh, means a lot if you're still still here. So, um, this is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm doing it for people like you. So, just know that. That's it for this week. I've taken up enough of your time today, so I'll let you go quickly. Thanks again. It's uh, this has really become something I I really really love doing, and uh, I hope to continue to do it for a long time. So. Make sure to rate, review, share with all your friends. And make sure to hit up simpleequationsmedia.com. We are a full-service audio and video production company located here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We can help you out pre-production through post. We can help you record music. We can help you write music. Whatever you need, we're here for you. So hit us up. But, um, yeah, that's it for this week. So we will talk to you guys later. Thanks. Thanks.